This morning, we're going to talk about how God uses our sufferings and our shortcomings. And we're going to look at how he does that with Peter. Um, Raise your hand if you've ever suffered. Raise your hand if you've ever had a shortcoming. Okay, perfect. Everybody's going to tune in now. Um, If you want to turn your Bibles to John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19... You all, many of you know this passage very well. Um, before we, we read that, I think a lot gets said about Jesus wiping Judas's feet. Um, and it, as it should, we marvel at how Jesus was able to humiliate himself and wash the feet of the man he knew would betray him. But I think just as remarkable is Jesus entrusting his, the leadership of his church to the guy who denied him three times. I think that is just as remarkable to the grace of glory of God. He put Peter in charge of the most precious thing on earth to him, and that was his church, his body, his people. And it wasn't because Jesus couldn't find anyone else. I think John could have done just as good from from an administration standpoint, from a shepherding standpoint. And it wasn't just because... um, Jesus looked around and thought it would be a good, warm story if Peter took the reins and it could be a redemption story. No, Jesus wanted this to happen and he wanted it to happen from the beginning. He willed it to happen. Throughout the entire Bible, God takes the unqualified and makes them qualified. From a worldly sense, Jesus, or Peter has no business leading the Jerusalem church at all. But yet Jesus is getting ready to say, you're the one feeding my lambs. Israel was the puniest. David was the youngest. The Son of God became the lowliest. Apostle Paul was the worldliest. The church is called to be the most foolish. And on top, he's going to put Peter, the king of fools, on top of the church. That's how God works. In our passage this morning, Jesus commissions Peter. He gives him an assignment. But before we dive into John chapter 21, I want us to look briefly at what Peter says. We've read this before, but I want to read it again because I really believe Peter is also talking about himself. This is actually in in 1 Peter 5 where he's actually talking, giving commands um, to shepherd the flock. And this is what he says. Resist him, meaning the devil. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You know how I think Peter knows that so well? Because Peter is also talking about himself. Jesus doesn't simply forgive Peter He doesn't simply bring him back to the fold. Jesus restores Peter. He confirms him in his grace. He strengthens his faith. And he establishes him with a purpose and a role and assignment in the church of God. All for the man who denied him three times. We have to read John 21 through the lens of 1 Peter 5. God didn't just make lemonade out of lemons. Well, Peter did that. I guess we're going to have to do something. You know, it would be a good comeback story if I make Peter the head of the Jerusalem church. No, 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 no. 
God willfully planned for Peter to deny him three times and also planned that three more times he could say, feed my sheep. How beautiful is it that God takes a wayward sheep and then says, now feed my sheep. That's amazing. That's how I know I can, this, this passage here is how I know I can be a pastor. If he did this for Peter, he does it for me. I am, in a worldly, earthly sense, Avitad is unqualified to be a pastor. God qualified me, just like he qualifies Peter. So, that's a lot of prefacing. Let's go to John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. If you can, if you will, please stand for the reading of God's word. John says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Father, you've asked us to come and suffer in your name. And when we suffer righteously, patiently, humbly, we glorify you. Because we show how infinitely valuable you are above all things that this world could give us. Father, you gave Peter a unique task, but this morning in this passage you also show us that an invitation to follow you is an invitation to, for discipleship and to suffer in your name. Father, let us be bold Christians, not seeking to avoid suffering, but Father, if it be your will that we suffer well for your name and not ours. And all these things we ask in your son's name, amen. You can be seated. God calls us to suffer. Just quick poll. I actually wasn't even thinking about doing this, but as I was reading, I was thinking, if you, if someone said, I'll, I can let you know when and how you'll die if you want to know. Raise your hand if you would want to know. I'm curious. Robert, Robert Washington does. Nobody else. Well, I thought we'd have more than that. I wouldn't. Ignorance is bliss at Haynes Creek, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Nobody wants to know. Um, he doesn't tell Peter when, but he certainly gives him a how. And if you hear it, and Peter is hearing it, I would love to if John had given us a little caption of how, what Peter's face was like. I'm going to be led along like, an, like people are dressing me. Wow. Um, we'll get to that in a sec. Okay, that's about what I expected. 
Um, the important thing first for us to establish is that God calls us to suffer. In fact, in some sense, it is God's will that we suffer. God is calling Peter here to a life of suffering. He says, all the suffering, all the trial, all the, all the shortcomings you've experienced thus far, it is for a reason that you might shepherd my flock. And oh, by the way, there's more suffering to come. Don't think you're out of it yet. Worldly Christianity can't make heads or tails of suffering. Because the world wants us to tell us that God's will is that we don't suffer. In fact, I, I put it like this. I don't know if it makes sense or not. Actually, oh, you know what? I forgot the summary. Here it is. This is what I'm trying to say. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us into the body of Christ and to suffer in his name for his glory. All right. When the world receives good things from God, it says, God must love me. When the elect receive good things from God, they know that God's kindness is meant to lead them to repentance. God doesn't promise us worldly blessings in this life, but he does promise us suffering. Philippians 1.29 says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So God's will is that we suffer, but it's not just any suffering. Not pointless suffering. It's you know in a lot of in this world a lot of people suffer because it's just called the fruit of their actions. A lot of people just get the consequences of, of, of their decisions. This is a specific kind of suffering. We're called to suffer righteously in the name of Jesus and for the glory of Jesus. And in this passage, we can see at least three reasons why God sends us through suffering. And I, and I boiled them down right here. That we might learn to love Jesus more. That we might learn to lead others to love Jesus more and that we might glorify God. I see those three reasons in this passage this morning. Let's read them again. There's three reasons God will send you through suffering. If you don't get it, if you're in the midst of it right now, if you're thinking it's pointless, if you're looking up at God saying, what in the world is this? Just think about these three things. That we might learn to love Jesus more. That we might learn to lead others to love Jesus more. That we might glorify God. There's your point for suffering. And, we're, and I see those in this passage, and we're going to flesh them out. Verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? I, stop right there. I, I wish we could hear, see Peter's face. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Let's stop right there and give credit to Peter for one thing. Peter didn't back down. If the Son of God asked you that three times, do you think you might get a little insecure? I mean, he knows everything. At the third time, I'd be going, I mean, I think so. He knows everything. So just, I mean, is there a problem? No, Jesus, Peter doesn't back down. He says, you know I do. I think we need to give credit for Peter that. He is positive beyond a shadow of doubt that he loves Jesus. He will not submit to questioning, even divine questioning. Peter is sure of his love of Jesus, and that in itself is a miracle. Peter's sufferings and the resurrection of Jesus have brought him to a place where he is positive beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that he is willing to die for Jesus Christ. God sends us through suffering that we might grow in our love of Jesus and in our faith of Jesus. And I would say his three denials and the resurrection of Christ have brought Peter to a place where he says, I'm in. You know, in the moment, suffering is awful, and we don't know why on earth God would send it our way. It hurts, it's painful, it's confusing, we hate it. It's like my kids taking a bath. My kids hate baths. They hate being clean, cleaned, but they love being clean. They love have, having had a bath, but they don't like having the bath. And we are the exact same way when it comes to suffering. We hate suffering, but we love the lessons we learn. Nobody in here likes to take a bath of suffering. But we like it when God whips us out and says, cleans us off and says, did you learn that? That's why I often pray, Father, if it be your will to send our family through suffering, have us suffer well and increase our faith and increase our love of your, of your son Jesus. Do you love me, Peter? You know I do. Do you love me, Peter? You know I do. Do you love me, Peter? I said I do. I want a faith like that. Peter's not backing down. That is a man who's ready to follow Jesus. Sometimes the only way to know that we love Jesus more than anything is to have everything ripped away. And that's exactly what's happening now. To have your health turned away. To have your money taken away. To even have your family God forbid, taken away. And in those moments when we have things stripped away, what God is saying, he's the, the God who, who gives and taketh away, he stoops down and he says, do you love me now? The person who can look up to the heavens and thank God for their suffering, that is a soul who loves Jesus more than the world. The world is like shirking suffering and we're saying, I count it all joy. I've always wondered why James counted it all joy to suffer. And I think it's because at that point, once things had stripped away, once the church had been persecuted so much, James said, I can see even more how infinitely precious and valuable Jesus is in a way that I would not have had he let me keep what my flesh wanted. We also need to understand why Jesus asks three times. I think there's a point there. It's not because Jesus stutters and it's not because he forgot. John wants us to make a direct parallel between the three denials of Peter and the three affirmations of Jesus. This is restoration is what this is. Peter's love for Jesus is sufficient. Did I write this down? Maybe I did. There yeah, I did. Peter's love or faith in Jesus is sufficient to cover his weakest moments of unbelief. That's what faith does. When sinners place their trust in Jesus to justify them before the judge, they are no longer condemned for their deepest, darkest sin. They are defined by the righteousness of Christ. And Jesus gives them a task. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. God has brought Peter this far through this much sin, through this much unbelief, through this much trial... In order that Peter might lead others who have gone or are going to face the same sin and the same unbelief. I just thought about this. In order to lead sheep and feed sheep, 
we have to first identify ourselves as sheep too. There's no good leader in the Lord's church who is not also following Jesus. Raise your hand if you have gone through a dark chapter of your life in faith and now God has used it so that you can minister to people who are also going through that very same thing. That's why the church exists. Broken people helping broken people. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to the body of Christ and to suffer in his name. This is why people who profess to be believers but who are not part of a church, what they're saying is, I love the shepherd, I don't care about the sheep. When someone maybe comes to church every once in a while but they're not really a part of everyone's life, they slip in, they slip out, what they're saying is, I love the shepherd, I don't want to feed the lambs, they're dirty. The shepherd says, if you want me, here are my sheep. I think we want the shepherd because it's clean. He's holy, he's good, he's righteous. The sheep, they're not... uh, I don't want to mess with them. (laughs) No, the good shepherd's like, there they are. They're covered in my righteousness. And I put my spirit in them. Feed them. If you have been addicted to drugs or alcohol, if you've experienced a divorce, if you've harmed others, if you've harmed yourself, if you've walked away from those you've loved, if you've had a dark moment in your life that still haunts you, if you have lived a life of sin and selfishness, and you have put your faith in Jesus to wipe your slate clean, God has handcrafted you as someone who can uniquely speak into people who are still struggling with those very same sins. Thomas, when Thomas gets done, he knows the mind of a hypocrite. When Paul gets done, he knows the heart of a Pharisee. When Peter gets done, he knows what it is to be a fraud. And God prepared each one of them. Molding and shaping them to be vessels of righteousness engineered to speak to those very same people. You know, what just it's such a great news to know that God can turn our deepest, darkest, most painful wounds that we have and He can shape them and turn them into bright, shining weapons for the kingdom. At Haynes Creek, we should not be proud of our pasts. But we should be proud of Christ, of what Christ has done with our pasts. Whatever Hoxford and Covington are facing, whatever this community is facing, I am pretty sure I could go to a, to a Peter here in this room and I could find someone who could speak uniquely into their life. Now let's not be, I want to be clear here, the gospel is sufficient to change. But we all know when you're walking through something in your life and someone has come out of it and they're looking back and they're saying this is who Jesus is, it really, really helps. What greater privilege is there in this church than to have responsibility for overseeing God's sheep? My wife is not my sheep. She's God's sheep. 
Therefore, my authority over her in our marriage is not because I'm superior to her. It's not because I have power over her. It's so that I can serve her and prepare her for the shepherd. Parents, your children are ultimately not your sheep. They're God's sheep. They're the Father's sheep. Therefore, your authority over them is not just to give them nice things. It is to prepare and groom their souls for the shepherd. My job as pastor at this church is to tend to your souls. At all costs. Usually it's fun. Sometimes it's not. And I have no greater honor. Let's read verses 18 through 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. (laughs) Imagine that little cryptic foreshadowing and then going, hey, come on, let's go. Gonna have somebody dress me. Why are people dressing me, Jesus? No, you just come on. I mean, I'd be a little intimidated. Church historians have agreed, for the most part, that Peter was, in all likelihood, crucified upside down. That's not with as much historical accuracy as we have. That is uh, church tradition. Upside down. And tradition says that Peter refused to be crucified right side up because he was not worthy to be crucified like his Savior. And if that is the case, if Jesus is giving him a foreshadowing of his own death, if we believe and know as we do that the first century church was thrown into the Colosseum, if we know that all the disciples minus John encountered the degree of suffering that they did, that they lost their lives, that they were crucified. Here's what that means for us. Any gospel that says God does not intend for us to suffer on this earth and that our faith will always produce earthly blessings is a false, demonic, godless gospel. If Hollywood were telling John 21... The movie would probably end when Jesus said the third time, feed my lambs. That's when the the curtain comes down and everybody applauds and says, hey, happily ever after. Peter came back, what a good turnaround story. He became the guy, good. Doesn't end that way though. Jesus says, oh by the way, um, you're going to die a bad death. That's not a Hollywood ending, folks. That's not a sexy gospel. Nobody wants that. But here's the truth. If we share in his glory, we will share in his sufferings. Don't be surprised. Parents, really conservative parents, when you have Bible time with your kids, if you don't fit into the culture, if you think that sports need to be limited, if you think that you need to make sure discipleship is important as TV, if you make decisions for your family, and it's a little different than the way good Southern Americans 
parent, if it's a little different and people look at you, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Suffer for the kingdom. Suffer well. I'm learning that now. But you know what? Don't worry because guess what? The tomb is empty. Don't worry because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. There will not be... Well, maybe there might be Little League in heaven. I don't know. It's going to be really good Little League. We'll know that. I hope they have baseball in heaven. But here's the point. You won't care. Here's the point. The kingdom of God and the gospel that saves is the only thing that matters eternally in our lives. And everything should be molded around that. Even if we look weird. And I'm going to tell you, and I think we've said this many times, Americans don't have... We don't even know what suffering is. So if it causes us to be ostracized a little bit in this good southern town, so be it. As Christians, we can suffer joyfully and victoriously because we have a living hope. And because Jesus lives, I can be crucified. Do what you want with me. I imagine, and this is not in the text, but I would imagine when, Paul, when Peter eventually followed after Jesus, he said, let's go. I, got, I just watched you come out of the grave. I don't care what happens to me. I just watched you conquer death. I just watched angels come and I watched you walk through a door and I don't even get it, but I'm down for it. Let's go. I don't even know what that means about walking like an old person and getting dressed, but that's fine. Whatever that means, I'm with you. And that's our faith. Verse 19 says that when we suffer, we, God will get the glory. So in summation tonight or this morning... The first question when we suffer should not be, how long, O Lord? The first question when we suffer should not be, why? The first question should be, am I going to magnify my Savior in it? And am I going to trust Jesus through it? And then whatever happens after that, God is pleased. If you have not looked at suffering that way, if you've had a different lens on your life and what's, what you've been walking through, if you're in the middle of suffering now, what if we have faith like Peter where we're like, you know what? I'm a screw up. I still am. I'm not qualified for this, but I'm trusting in you and you say it's sufficient. If we believe in the Savior, God will equip us for every good work He has. Let's pray. Father, You've created us for good works. Our good works don't save. The work of Jesus does. But once You've transformed our hearts, we are made for good works. We're made to follow you. And Father, when the world persecutes us, 
When hard times come, Father, may our suffering be a pleasing aroma in your sight. And may we love you more than we love the world. All these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen.